How many of you know this morning you need to not lean on your understanding when it comes to things that you're going through? How many of you this morning have, have said, God, I've got it figured out, and then you mess it up? I love the part that this song is always moving to me. Certainly, we should lean on our understanding, but I love that, you know, we're, we're trusting this morning. For those who are seeking Jesus, if you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about him or you've not been in church in a while and you're skeptical, that's okay. You're in a safe place. But I'm talking right now to those who are trusting that somehow out of our messed up lives that God is going to do something beautiful, something beautiful in our marriage and with our finances, in our workplace, with our education, with our dreams, with our passions. I don't understand it, honestly. Can I just, just make a confession to you? As I sit here under this spotlight in front of you proclaiming this, it took faith six years ago, trusting that God would get me here. And I'm, like Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, I've not arrived at the place of perfection. But what I do is I'm pressing forward, trusting that God's going to make something beautiful out of this. Because listen, we are all those people. We're all those people. We're all fragile. We're all sinners. We're all messed up. I'm building y'all up this morning, aren't I? You bunch of sinners, messed up, jacked up people. But we're trusting that God's going to do something beautiful. And what that requires is for us to not think we have everything figured out, but to lean not on our own understanding. What I love about God is He's a God that makes a way when it seems no way. He's the God that when you step up to the Jordan River, if He doesn't split it, it's not going to happen. But if it's in His will, He can part it. I didn't do a good job earlier during that welcome and offering. We played that little video, and some of you are probably like, that was awkward. I have no idea what that means. But we're in this series called Gifts, and what we're talking about is during the holiday season, a lot of times we will spend extravagant amounts of money and extravagant amount of time purchasing gifts for people we love, hoping that they'll love them. But what we're doing then is in this series trying to flip the script on that and say, hey, instead of giving gifts, let's receive what Jesus wants to give us. And this morning, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is His Word. In fact, some of you have gathered this morning because you want to hear the Word. A lot, if you're, a lot of people in the South say, I want a preacher who preaches the Word. Now, what I don't want you to do, I'm going to explain it in time, but don't get caught up. We're going to read some Scripture. Remain standing. We're going to read some Scripture, and there may be some things that don't make sense to you, but I don't want you to get caught up in what you don't understand, okay? I want you just to be open to, to whatever you're hearing and to receive that. There's a man by the name of Paul, and he's writing to a church in Corinth. From it, we get 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and mainly those people, they are jacked up. There's a lot of sexual sin going on. They're basically, they were Gentiles, and, and here's the deal. There were Jews, and if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And he's writing to these people. And what he's going to be doing is discussing the difference between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. Listen, you can't see, and I'm not going to show you, but I've got cold chills all over my body right now because I believe God's going to speak. I told our volunteer service that I was up till 2.30 this morning believing that God was going to speak to somebody. See, what I believe is this. You've come here this morning maybe to see family. Maybe because you feel like you should be here. But what if today was the day that changed your life forever? Do you believe we serve a God who can do that? Can I just be honest with you for a minute before I start screaming? Which I may do anyway. I'm just trying to get all that, all the good stuff before I start screaming. 
I am so passionate about what Jesus is able to do. That's why I preach the way that I preach. Because what I realize is this, this may be my only Sunday, somebody with Reagan, to, to proclaim the gospel in a way to them that makes Jesus relevant to them. I'm so passionate about what Jesus has done in my life, I feel obligated, Nick, to, to express and to put out my fire. Is anybody with me? It's important enough, yeah, yeah. It's not to be theatrical. Because listen, you can't manufacture the movement of the Spirit. You can't do it no matter how good the lights are. No matter how good the music is or no matter how good the preaching is, and the preaching is often pretty good. You can't manufacture it. So I am passionate today. I believe, listen, I believe every single time I take this platform, I tell these people too, it is an honor to be up here, whether there be 50 or 500 or 5,000. It's an honor to be up here under these lights and represent Jesus' name. And I believe today that he can change somebody. I believe it with all my heart. So Paul's writing to this church in Corinth. There again, we get 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and they're jacked up people. He's talking about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you may be thinking, if you understand anything about biblical theology, that basically you would be, a normal question would be, why is Paul going into such depth with these people who don't even know God? It's because there's good news for those who don't know Him. It will make sense in just a few minutes, or I will die trying one. Paul's writing, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now listen, the old way... The old way, the old covenant with laws etched in stone. Remember Moses received the Ten Commandments written on stone. Can I tell you something? I, I don't I can't stand. I, okay, this is a confession. It drives me crazy when people come late to church, but what I hope is this, is in just a couple minutes, somebody's going to come in here and they're going to feel like this Holy Spirit just smacked them right in the face. That's what I feel like, because I feel like the Spirit's going to move this morning. With laws etched in stone, listen, the old way, the old covenant led to death. Though it began with such glory that people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. Listen, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Listen, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from God, would you imagine that was a pretty glorious moment? Absolutely. So no doubt it was glorious. When he came down off the mountain and he had, listen, have you ever met somebody, maybe somebody like me, I don't know, that when they've just encountered God, they just have this really glorious glow around them or this, there's something about them that's just attractive. They have this joy in them. Do you know what I'm talking about? You just feel like, hey, I'm around the believer. Moses comes down off the mountain of Sinai and he's, he's been with God. He's experienced his glory and Moses' face is shining and it's got glory on it. But listen to what Paul says. It was already fading away. Do you know why? Because you and I are not able to keep the law. Anybody ever broke the Ten Commandments? You ever stole, not honored your mother, your father? See, Paul knew then that day that, that day that Moses came down off the mountain, that law that was glorious was fading already because we could not maintain it or sustain it. Next verse. Listen to what Paul says. He says, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6? He said, I am the, let's try it again. I am the, the way. I mean, shouldn't we, expect, listen, let me ask you something for those of you who are in Christ. What are you expecting in the new way this morning? Did you come to church expecting to experience God? Did you come to church expecting to get something, receive something? What is your expectation? This is going to sound crazy. Every single day, I don't live perfectly. I make mistakes, but I expect God to move. I especially expect him to move today. What are you expecting from the new way? 
the truth in the life. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Verse 9. If the old way, the old covenant, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? See, listen, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God set this plan into motion to bring redemption to all of humanity. This is where the law comes in, the Ten Commandments and, and the crazy things in Leviticus and Numbers that when you read, you're like, what? Which they shouldn't even be in there. I can't even understand what he's talking about. Donkeys and sacrifice and stuff and don't touch women when they're doing this. And... But this plan was set into motion. And ultimately what it does is it points toward a Savior and that's what makes us right with God. Listen, this is why I said during the offering. It doesn't matter how much you give. It's a representation of your belief in God, I will say that, and your relationship with Him. But that does not make you right with God. Hey, listen, I think you should be here this morning. I think you should be here next week and bring somebody with you. There's some people here that aren't this morning that I was thinking about. They should be here this morning. But if they love Jesus, they're still right with God. Amen. It's the good news. It's the new way. It's the new way. He, Jesus, makes us right with God, verse 10. Look, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. Verse 11. Look, so if the old way, the old way which has been replaced, we have the New Testament, it was glorious. How much more glorious is the new way which remains forever? Do you realize this, that you were made for eternity? Do you realize that? You were made for eternity and it will be with or without, but that's how you were created. And it remains forever. Verse 12. Since the new way gives us such confidence, what is that confidence? That Jesus died on the cross for the sinners of all people, that grace abounds where sin is found, where mercy is there when we don't deserve it. That's our confidence. That's my confidence. It's not in me, because if you knew every detail of my past, you'd be wondering what qualifies me to be up here. But luckily, your opinion of me is not as great as God's. That's what gives me confidence, not me, not my ability to speak, not my ability to preach, not my theological training in Bible college or, or the experience I've had. It's Jesus. He's the one that gives us the confidence. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold, verse 13. Look, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory. Listen, even though it was destined to fade away, when, when Moses came down off the Mount Sinai and he'd received the Ten Commandments, his face shone with so much glory that he put a veil over it so the people couldn't see it. And there's a, a lot of theories of why he would do that, but one that I tend to kind of think and you know, deserves more time than I have right now, but basically that Moses knew that glory would not last forever. So he put a veil over his face because the people... Let me ask you something this morning. What veil do you need God to remove in your life today? Is it the veil of doubt? Is it the veil of pride? Is it the veil of replacing an apathetic, lazy faith with such boldness and confidence? What's the veil that needs to be removed? Maybe somebody's hurting. There's something deep, deep down in here. You've been hurt, and you've not let God fill the void. He will remove the veil today if you'll let him. Verse 14. Look, but the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, Paul says, to this day, I would say this pastor would say, to this day, 
whenever the old covenant is being read, that same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. Verse 15. And this veil, excuse me, this is the last part of 14. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Only by believing in Christ. Not your works, not your deeds. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Verse 16. But whenever, listen, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, that veil of pride, of doubt, of insecurity, of pain, of grief, of heartache, of lust, of addiction, of greed. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. What veil do you need removed from your life this morning? I may just jump through the roof on this next verse right here. I know what's coming. You don't. This is the main theme of the whole message. Verse 17. Paul says, listen, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm preaching to somebody this morning that needs some freedom. Does anybody need freedom from something in here this morning? Are you ready to hear a word from God? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I don't know where he's going. Let's try this again. I don't know where he's going, but you need this. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. So we're in this gift series, and we're talking about the gifts that Jesus wants to give us. Instead of just giving, receive them. Today we're in part four of the series, and surprise, surprise, I'm calling this message, you need this. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm pretty sure you need this. You need this. You'll see. You need this. One of the greatest gifts God gives us is his word. One of the greatest gifts he gives us is his word. Oftentimes we uh, don't understand it. It's confusing. And oftentimes the very thing that we want comes from it, but we don't want it. I've got a little girl named Harper, and she'll be four in January, which is just crazy. I can remember, you know, when we first had kids, and not that we're, you know, they're old, four's not old, but I can remember all the parents saying, hey, you better enjoy it because time flies by. Just like when you're younger, you'll be old one day. And, you know, I'm like, okay, shut up, I don't care. And it's true. If you have, anybody have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Some of, your, some of your babies are 30 years old and having kids now and time flies. But, well, this is what's awesome about this. Harper, she loves gifts on Thanksgiving, on Easter, on Christmas, on her birthday, on Tuesday morning when her mossy comes over. Like, I mean, she just wants gifts all the time. Doesn't matter. She loves gifts. And a lot of times she gets clothes. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I've gotten older, I like getting clothes. I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy a good pair of pajamas. I enjoy a good pair of house shoes. That's a luxury gift to me, especially if they have the rubber soles on them so I can walk outside. I don't mind getting clothes. But Harper, this is what's, I mean, she'll have like, you know, five or six gifts and she'll open one up and it'll be closed and she'll be like, you know, you know how kids are. Like she'll look at it and be like, you know, I think probably just because her mom and I are like breathing down her neck, she'll be like, you know, thank you or whatever. Not even, you know, just throw it and go to the next one because she wants the next best thing. Now what's hilarious about that is her mom, we were just talking about this the other day, is always saying Harper needs clothes. And you listen, you know, if you have kids, they go through a tremendous amount of clothes, a tremendous, I mean, it's crazy what they can go through in a day, a day. And so the very thing that Harper really does, I mean, listen, she does like clothes, don't get me wrong, but if there's other gifts involved, she wants what's better. 
The one thing that she doesn't like, clothes, is the one thing that my wife always says, hey, she needs clothes, we need to get her clothes, we need to get her clothes. Well, listen, transition with me to this. A lot of times, we want the blessings of God, we want the financial gain, we want the peace, we want the promises, but we don't want the word, right? Like, we want the financial gain, but we don't want to learn about generosity, or listen, we want the blessing of the marriage, but we don't want to take the time to invest in it and actually make it work. So there's this comparison of a lot of times the very thing that we want will come from the thing that we need, but we often don't want it, which is the word. Now, I'm going to ask you something this morning. I'm going to make a couple honest confessions to you just to be truthful. Um... Has anybody ever sat down to read their Bible? I'm going to go ahead and answer this. I have. This isn't where I raise my hand to make you feel good about yourself. I really have. Has anybody ever sat down to read the Bible, and you're like, I'm going to read it. I'm going to learn something. God's going to speak to me. You're really serious about it, and you get up, and five or ten minutes later, you can't remember a dang thing you read. Anybody ever done that? There's some holy people in here, because some people didn't raise their hands. Has anybody ever started one of those Bible app plans on version or whatever, and you're like, I'm going to read this plan, I'm going to stick with it, and you quit by like day three or day four. I've done it too. And then I think they like send a reminder like, hey, you need to catch up, and I delete it so I don't feel bad. You know, like, not going to remind me, the old devil. I know where I'm at. A lot of times that is because this. The, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is his word. But what often happens is we can take a, pro, a programmatic approach to reading the Bible to where it feels like a program. Now, I'm not knocking anybody that does this. It's fine if you do, but typically it goes something like this. I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to read three chapters and drink my coffee, and I'm going to pray and start my day out all good. And then, Or it's, if you're not out, I'm going to read my Bible at 6.30 or 10 o'clock before I go to bed, and I'm going to read two chapters of Proverbs, and, and I'm going to feel good about myself. And what happens is you start that plan, and you last for like 72 hours, and next thing you know, you oversleep in the morning, or you, you, something runs behind. Next thing you know, you've not read your Bible in like two months, and you feel like a sinner, and you know, then you don't go to church, and it's just crazy. It just, it keeps going. And the reason is because we take this programmatic approach to it. I've done it myself. Honest to God, I've done it. Even as a pastor, I've done it where I just sit down and it's a program. Like, okay, I know I need to read, I need to read, I need to read. I have often and will seldom sit down to read the Bible and forget what I read. But I have never, ever forgotten a moment that I've spent with the Father. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is this, is I can count where on my hand where I've had like almost these just radical, just crazy, life-altering experiences with the Father, yet I can't count how many times I've sat down to read my Bible and forgot what I've read. And so what I want to impress upon you this morning is that when it comes to God's Word, it's about spending time with the Father. It's not about a program. It's about spending time with the Father. It's not about a program. Part of the problem for us when we read it is it's often hard for us to understand it. i am be honest with you. I've been through Bible college. I've been in Bible college and I don't understand everything about it. It's complex because we serve a big God. Especially when you get into some of the Old Testament stuff and King Hezekiah was the tribe of Judah and somebody was in the lion's den and 
Joseph had a coat of many colors, like Dolly Parton or something like that. I mean, there's just, just a lot of stuff that's hard to understand. But there is no other book like the Bible in the world. No other book like it in the world. It's written by nearly 40 authors from the beginning to the end. 66 books written over a span of 2,000 years over three continents, written on three continents. It's written from people in palaces and prisons and exile and in the wilderness. It's written by fishermen, a military general, shepherds, kings, murderers. Yet there's this one common theme. Jesus. See, from Genesis to Revelation, it records numerous accounts of man's rebellious act against the holy creator God. And what you see is God time after time, his, his plan to redeem humanity. And so basically, if you open up Genesis, it points to Jesus. It points towards the cross. When you open up Revelations, you look back at the cross, and then we look forward to the future for when Jesus comes again. It's all about Jesus. It, what I love about the Bible is it says that it's God breathed. And what that means is that basically uh, God used his spirit upon men to write it. God wasn't a man, mechanical dictator where he took somebody's hand and like made them do this. And because you see personal emotion from these writers, you see different styles of writing, you see frustration, you see anger. But there's one common theme and it points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. Now, I think that a logical question that comes into mind is, okay, does the Old Testament even still matter? Anybody ever thought that? Like, does it even, what's the point of it? I mean, that's a, that's a good logical question. And the reality is, yes, it does. Because what it does is it points out God's plan for Jesus. Basically, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first two people that God created, he set in motion a plan to redeem us to make us right again, to have a way to be right with him. This is where the law comes into place. So basically, okay, you messed up, now you got to do this. Well, just like we read from Paul, as Moses, he went to get this law and it was this glorious moment, but it was fading because how many of you know that on your best day, you really have nothing good to offer God? You don't. And for some of you who are thinking, man, yes, I do. I'll say, man, no, you don't. There was no way that we could rise to the standard of God. And you would say, and then you would think maybe, so well, why did God even do that? Because it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. And then, so what you have then is, Paul talks about the Old Testament brings condemnation, basically because you cannot live up to such a standard. The New Testament represents grace and life. The Old Testament represents law and death. And so basically now we live under the grace and mercy of Jesus for those of us who accepted what he did on the cross. And so you would say, does the Old Testament, is it still relevant to my life? It's still absolutely very relevant because it's part of God's story. And you could say it like this. The Old Testament represents law and death. The New Testament represents uh, grace and truth and life. So if we're living under grace, why does the law matter? And you could say it like this. Grace without the law would be chaos. Grace without law would be chaos. If we had no guidelines or no boundaries, and listen, some of us, we still run amok and act like idiots. All in Jesus' name, right? Grace without law would be chaos. We've got to have it. 
there's one central theme that points to, to Jesus in all of this. So they're both still very, very real. They're both very, very relevant. What I love about the Word of God when it comes to this grace and this law and this boundary and teaching us what God's plan was is that when it comes to understanding God, we're, we should be so grateful to have this, this Word, that we can know Him. If you want to hear from God, you read your Bible. I suppose you could go out into the Smoky Mountains in a field and just do this and listen for God to speak from heaven to you. But if you really want to hear God, you need to open the book and read it because he's already spoken. Can I just nitpick a little bit? Can I just vent for a moment? So when someone says something like, God has given me a revelation, I find that very interesting because then what you're saying is that the Bible's incomplete. Now listen, he may have revealed something to you about what he's already spoke. But you better be careful next time you hear somebody or you say, I've received a revelation. Honestly, it's, that's serious because then you're suggesting that the word that's without error and full and complete is incomplete. What was I talking about? <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. If, so if you want to hear from God, you need to read your Bible because he's already spoke. If you want to talk to God, you pray. Right? If you want to talk to God, you pray. If you want to hear from him, you read your Bible. And this is what I've learned for me, okay? Is the more that I hear from God, the more that I know him, get to know him through his word, the more I want to talk with him. And listen, this is, this is not legalistic. This is not me being religious or uh, smashing my thumb of the Old Testament, but here's the truth. If you don't talk to God much, this is just the truth, it's probably because you don't hear from him very much which means you probably don't spend time with him very much. They're indicative of each other. If you hear from God, it's inevitable that you're going to speak with him. If you're speaking with God, it's inevitable that you will hear from him. And this is what I've learned. The more that you hear from him, the more you get to know him. And the more that you begin to speak with him, again, it begins to change your perspective because God changes things, Right? And in your prayer life, what happens is as you begin to understand God's nature and his plan for you, then it begins to change the way you pray, uh, the way you pray, uh, the way your prayers are spoken. And, and something that I think is interesting and, and important for us to, to, to just tap on for just a second, tap into is this, is that when you begin to know God and his character and you begin to pray things, what you realize what God often do is sometimes through prayer, God will change your circumstances, but sometimes through prayer, he'll change you. And your circumstances will remain the same, but your, but your perspective changes. And listen, when you, when you go to God's word, I'm gonna just share some very practical things with you. It's about spending time with the Father. And you've probably heard this, so I don't feel like this is some revelation that I'm fixing to speak to you. But I, honest to God, I would rather Sarah sit down with my Bible and read two scriptures and meditate on them and spend time with the Father than go through this programmatic, I'm going to read two chapters today. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's fine if you want to read two chapters. And sometimes it's okay if you forget. It's just the Bible, listen, honestly, if you're not even a Christian, the Bible's a good book to read. It just is. But I'd rather spend, you know, 10, 10 minutes on one verse, time with the Father, than this programmatic approach. Because this is why. The scriptures 
point to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39. He's talking to a group of people and he says, listen, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. See, it's about spending time with the Father when you go to the Word. Right? There will, time, there will be times that you learn things. There will be times that you uh, have questions to ask. But the Word itself points to Jesus. Listen, this could be confusing if you don't hear me correctly. But the Word means nothing without Jesus. Does that make sense? The promises that you want over your life mean nothing if Jesus didn't hang from the cross and rise on the third day. They all point to him. So when we read things like, blessed are those who are, you know, mournful for they, you know, they shall inhabit the kingdom and those blessed are those who are, you know, persecuted and blessed are those who come to City Lights Church. I'm pretty sure he says that in there somewhere. But I'm pretty sure I saw it this morning. Those promises mean nothing if Jesus had not been resurrected and died. They point to Jesus. See, a lot of times we go to the scripture as if this is some uh, kind of magical pill or solution. And what it contains points to Jesus. Are you with me? Some of you are like, no, dude, I'm not. It points to Jesus. Listen, this is where the glory comes into play of the New Testament then. Because it points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. We often get caught up in this mentality of, well, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are, there are a lot of Christians who live a very legalistic life. And some Christians are the most judgmental people I know. We have become an expert at pointing out other people's sins, but we are completely blind to our own. And can I, let me just make a confession to you as well. Part confession. Can't tell you everything because you might post it on Facebook. A couple days ago, I began having these really, really bitter thoughts about a particular person. And they're in this room. No, I'm kidding. That'd be so awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> they're really not. And I just, honestly, you ever just, you know what I mean? You're just sitting around, like something happened, you start thinking about this person, like you start thinking, I'd fight them if I saw them at Big Loss today. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting my blood fresh. I'm like getting, I'm like thinking I'm, you know, basically fixing to do martial arts on this person and I hadn't even seen them in months. But if I, if they came across my path today, it'd be their bad day, buddy. That's what I was doing. I was getting that jacked up. You know what I mean? I was letting myself go there. And I can remember like walking outside towards my garage. And because this person, honestly, they've just made some terrible decisions lately. They just have. There's no sugarcoating it. Nope, add a boy, pat him on the back. They just made some really bad decisions. And it's not my judgment. It's just the facts of life they have. And I was walking towards my garage, and I just, I, honest to goodness, I felt like the Lord just said, hey, you're doing an awful good job of pointing out his sins. And I was like, dang you, God. <laughs> but it's the truth. And even in that moment, I had to think, you know what? Don't let me wander in that darkness. And I even just, you know, Spirit, thank you for the conviction that I'm not perfect either. No one's perfect. Your sin may look like this. Yours may look like that. But we're all in need of Jesus. And so you have to be careful with like this Old Testament mindset of like thumb down and you got to do this and you got to do that and you better wear this. You know, there's Errol and I, we have even family members that, you know, they say like, we've invited them to church and they'll say something like, I just don't have, you know, something to wear. And I'm like, listen, if you have a pair of pants and a shirt 
even some flip-flops, you can come to our church. We don't really care. You know, but they, there's, this, there's this mentality of like the old way. Do you know what I'm talking about? And listen, there's darkness that lives in the old way. Darkness. And this is why you have to be careful about roaming in darkness because in darkness, even your shadow leaves you there. It's a scary place to be in darkness. But the new way, the new way brings hope to those of us who have experienced it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, remember earlier he said, the Old Testament represents condemnation, but now there's, now this New Testament way of living, this Jesus, it brings life. That's why it's called the good news. There's nothing bad about it. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Listen, some of you, you need to begin just having the expectation that God's going to do something supernatural in your life. And here's another just little rant, if I can, for a moment. This is there. Listen, I don't know if y'all know this, but it's very therapeutic for pastors to rant sometimes. It feels good. And then, then you're like, then you go home and I'll ask my wife, I can't believe I said that. Do you think they still love me? Some of you, when you leave this place, even right now, you need to ask God to start, hey, give me this boldness to expect good things. Because sometimes we just mope around. Right? And I get it. Sin gets in the way. Pain gets in the way. Life gets in the way. But he says, shouldn't we expect? It's like with intonation. A question with intonation. Like, no, actually, you should be expecting great things to happen. You should be expecting great things to happen because the Holy Spirit is, is giving life. Verse 9. If the old way, which brings condemnation, it was glorious, how much more glorious is this new way, which makes us right with God? And here's where I'm getting at again. The scriptures that we're talking about reading, the gift, it all points to Jesus. It's glorious. It brings glory. Jesus is the way. He is who makes us right with God. I want to kind of just look at those last couple of verses again. We read them earlier. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Listen carefully here. But the people's minds were hardened. Oftentimes today, we have this hard heart when we go to the Scripture. And listen, it says, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, listen, Paul is not knocking it. He's not saying that it's bad. He's just saying there's glory in the New Testament. We get in this old way of thinking. Whenever the old covenant is being read, that same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. What veil do you need removed this morning that can only be removed by Christ? Now, honestly, for some of you, it's just you need to experience the freedom of Jesus. Maybe you've got a veil of doubt. I don't know what it is. You know. And this veil can be removed. Listen, the only way that you're going to find the joy, the happiness that you need, the peace, it's only, listen, that word believing is so much more in the original language. But it's by giving it 
trusting, not leaning on your own understanding, but trusting that somehow God will remove the veil. Next verse. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. Now remember, Paul's writing to a Gentile community. And so when he talks about they, he's talking about Jews. He's talking about, we would say in our context today, religious people. So really, this message is good news for those who are far from God, but it ought to penetrate the hearts of those of you who are religious. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. And listen, they do not understand. They do not understand. Verse 16. I love this. Here's this contrast. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, that word repent that you hear a lot, that sounds like a churchy word, that's what this means. It means to turn. Repent means I was going this way, I repented, and I turned to the Lord. When someone does that, when you do that, your veil can be removed. And only then can it be removed. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Listen, in the Old Testament, we hear this word called Bethel or Bethel. Jacob names, he names his place Bethel, and it means house of the Lord or gateway to heaven. And, and, and Jacob says in this, in this Old Testament, he says in Genesis, he says, I'm going to name this Bethel, house of God, basically. Because the Lord is in this place. Now, what I love about this is the Spirit of the Lord, wherever He is, not just this place, but your workplace tomorrow morning on Monday, at school next week with finals, at home where it's broken and things are fragile, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom because that is the new way and that is the glory. It's one of the greatest gifts we can receive, Megan. And and this morning, this message is about receiving God's Word, but particularly, it's about receiving the freedom that it brings. Some of you, you walk around in bondage. You can't see the shackles, but they chain you down. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. understanding or understand all of God's word but realize that the scriptures point to Jesus and with Jesus there's freedom when we give him everything we have which is not much it's then he makes something beautiful out of a mess does anybody need to experience some freedom from God this morning we celebrate that